Section 63 of Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1, by John Calvin. Translated by Rev. John Pringle. 1 Corinthians, Chapter 14, Verses 18 to 25. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned, or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, and is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God, and report that God is in you of a truth. 18. I thank, etc. As there are many that detract from another's excellencies, in which they cannot themselves have distinction, Paul, that he might not seem to depreciate, through malignity or envy, the gift of tongues, anticipates that suspicion by showing that he is in this respect superior to them all. See, says he, how little occasion you have to suspect the design of my discourse, as if I depreciated what I myself lacked. For if we were to contend as to tongues, there is not one of you that could bear comparison with me. While, however, I might display myself to advantage in this department, I am more concerned for edification. Paul's doctrine derives no small weight from the circumstance that he has not an eye to himself. Lest, however, he should appear excessively arrogant, in preferring himself before all others, he ascribes it all to God. Thus he tempers his boasting with modesty." 19. I would rather speak five words. This is spoken hyperbolically, unless you understand five words as meaning five sentences. Now as Paul, who might otherwise have exalted loftily in his power of speaking with tongues, voluntarily abstains from it, and, without any show, aims at edification exclusively, he reproves by this means the empty ambition of those that are eagerly desirous to show themselves off with empty tinkling. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. The authority of the apostle ought also to have no little weight in drawing them off from vanity of this kind. 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding. He proceeds a step farther, for he shows that the Corinthians are so infatuated that they, of their own accord, draw down upon themselves, and eagerly desire, as though it were a singular benefit, what the Lord threatens that he will send, when he designs to inflict upon his people the severest punishment. 
what dreadful madness is this to pursue eagerly with their whole desire what in the sight of god is regarded as a curse that we may however understand more accurately paul's meaning we must observe that this statement is grounded on the testimony of isaiah which he immediately afterwards subjoins isaiah twenty eight verses eleven and twelve and as interpreters have been misled from not observing the connection to be of this nature to prevent all mistake we shall first explain the passage in isaiah and then we shall come to paul's words in that chapter the prophet inveighs with severity against the ten tribes which had abandoned themselves to every kind of wickedness the only consolation is that god had still a people uncorrupted in the tribe of judah but straightway he deplores the corruption of that tribe also and he does so the more sharply because there was no hope of amendment for thus he speaks in the name of god whom shall i teach knowledge those that are weaned from their mother those that are drawn from the breasts by this he means that they are no more capable of instruction than little children but lately weaned it is added precept upon precept instruction upon instruction charge upon charge direction upon direction here a little and there a little in these words he expresses in the style of a mimic the slowness and carelessness by which they were kept back in teaching them i lose my labor for they make no progress because they are beyond measure uncultivated and what they have been taught by means of long-continued labor they in a single moment forget it is added still farther he that speaketh to that people is like one that maketh use of stammering lips and a foreign language this is the passage that paul quotes now the meaning is that the people have been visited with such blindness and madness that they no more understand god when speaking to them than they would some barbarian or foreigner stammering in an unknown tongue which is a dreadful curse he has not however quoted the prophet's words with exactness because he reckoned it enough to make a pointed reference to the passage that the corinthians on being admonished might attentively consider it as to his saying that it was written in the law this is not at variance with common usage for the prophets had not a ministry distinct from the law but were the interpreters of the law and their doctrine is as it were a sort of appendage to it hence the law included the whole body of scripture up to the advent of christ now paul from this infers as follows brethren it is necessary to guard against that childishness which is so severely reproved by the prophet that the word of god sounds in your ears without any fruit now when you reject prophecy which is placed within your reach and prefer to stand amazed at empty sound is not this voluntarily to incur the curse of god farther lest the corinthians should say in reply that to be spiritually children is elsewhere commended matthew eighteen verse four paul anticipates this objection and exhorts them indeed to be children in malice but to beware of being children in understanding hence we infer how shameless apart those act who make christian simplicity consist in ignorance paul would have all believers to be as far as possible in full maturity as to understanding the pope inasmuch as it is easier to govern asses than men gives orders under pretext of simplicity that all under him shall remain uninstructed 
let us from this draw a comparison between the dominion of popery and the institution of christ and see how far they agree twenty two therefore tongues are for a sign this passage may be explained in two ways by considering the word therefore as referring merely to the preceding sentence or as having a bearing generally on the whole of the foregoing discussion if it is a particular inference the meaning will be you see brethren that what you so eagerly desire is not a blessing bestowed by god upon believers but a punishment by which he inflicts vengeance upon unbelievers in this way paul would not be viewed as taking in the use of tongues under all circumstances but simply as touching upon what had in one instance occurred should any one however prefer to extend it to the whole discussion i have no objection though i do not dislike the former interpretation taking it in a general way the meaning will be tongues in so far as they are given for a sign that is for a miracle are appointed not properly for believers but for unbelievers the advantages derived from tongues were various they provided against necessity that diversity of tongues might not prevent the apostles from disseminating the gospel over the whole world there was consequently no nation with which they could not hold fellowship they served also to move or terrify unbelievers by the sight of a miracle for the design of this miracle equally with others was to prepare those who were as yet at a distance from christ for rendering obedience to him believers who had already devoted themselves to his doctrine did not stand so much in need of such preparation hence the corinthians brought forward that gift improperly and out of its right place allowing prophecy in the meantime to be neglected which was peculiarly and specially set apart for believers and ought therefore to be familiar to them for in tongues they looked to nothing farther than the miracle twenty three if therefore the whole church come together as they did not see their fault in consequence of having their minds preoccupied with a foolish and depraved desire he tells them that they will be exposed to the scorn of the wicked or the unlearned if any on coming into their assembly should hear them uttering a sound but not speaking for what unlearned person will not reckon those to be out of their right mind who in the place of speech utter empty sound and are taken up with that vanity while they were gathered together for the purpose of hearing the doctrine of god this statement has much that is cutting you applaud yourselves in your own sleeve but the wicked and the unlearned laugh at your fooleries you do not therefore see what to the unlearned and unbelieving is perfectly manifest here chrysostom starts a question if tongues were given to unbelievers for a sign why does the apostle say now that they will be derided by them he answers that they are for a sign to fill them with astonishment not to instruct them or to reform them at the same time he adds that it is owing to their wickedness that they look upon the sign as madness this explanation does not satisfy me for however an unbeliever or unlearned person may be affected by a miracle and may regard with reverence the gift of god he does not cease on that account to deride and condemn an unseasonable use of the gift and think thus with himself what do these men mean by wearying out themselves and others to no purpose of what avail is their speaking if nothing is to be learned from it 
Paul's meaning, therefore, is, that the Corinthians should be justly convicted of madness by the unbelieving and unlearned, however much they might please themselves. 24. But if all prophesy. As he had previously showed them how much more advantageous prophecy is to those that are of the household of faith, Galatians 6 verse 10, than the gift of tongues, so he now shows that it would be useful also to those that are without. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 13. This is a most powerful consideration for showing the Corinthians their error. For what a base part it is to depreciate a gift that is most useful both within and without, and to be wholly taken up with another gift which is useless to those that are within the house, and in addition to this gives occasion of offence to those that are without. He sets before them this advantage of prophecy, that it summons the consciences of the wicked to the tribunal of God, and strikes them with a lively apprehension of divine judgment in such a manner that he who before in utter regardlessness despised sound doctrine is constrained to give glory to God. We shall find it, however, much easier to understand this passage if we compare it with another that occurs in the epistle to the Hebrews. Chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, a discerner of the thoughts of the heart. For in both passages it is the same kind of efficacy of the word of God that is spoken of, only in that other passage it is spoken of more fully and distinctly. So far as the passage before us is concerned, it is not difficult to understand now what is meant by being convinced and judged. The consciences of men are in a torpid state, and are not touched with any feeling of dissatisfaction on account of their sins, so long as they are enveloped in the darkness of ignorance. In short, unbelief is like a lethargy that takes away feeling. But the word of God penetrates even to the farthest recesses of the mind, and by introducing, as it were, a light, dispels darkness and drives away that deadly torpor. Thus, then, unbelievers are convinced, inasmuch as they are seriously affected and alarmed, on coming to know that they have to do with God. And, in like manner, they are judged in this respect, that whereas they were previously involved in darkness, and did not perceive their own wretchedness and baseness, they are now brought into the light of day, and are constrained to bear witness against themselves. When he says that they are judged and convinced by all, you must understand him as meaning all that prophesy. For he had said a little before, If ye all prophesy, verse 24. He has expressly made use of a general term, with the view of removing the dislike that they felt for prophecy. The unbeliever, I say, is convinced, not as if the prophet pronounced a judgment upon him either silently in the mind, or openly with the mouth, but because the conscience of the hearer apprehends from the doctrine his own judgment. He is judged inasmuch as he descends into himself, and, after thorough examination, comes to know himself, while previously he was unmindful of himself. To the same purpose, too, is that saying of Christ, The Spirit, when he is come, will convince the world of sin. John 16, verse 8. And this is what he immediately adds, that the secrets of his heart are made manifest. 
for he does not mean, in my opinion, that it becomes manifest to others what sort of person he is, but rather that his own conscience is aroused, so that he perceives his sins, which previously lay hid from his view. Here again Chrysostom asks, how it comes to pass that prophecy is so effectual for arousing unbelievers, while Paul had said a little before that it was not given to them. He answers that it was not given to them as a useless sign, but for the purpose of instructing them. For my part, however, I think that it will be simpler, and therefore more suitable, to say that it was not given to unbelievers who perish, whose hearts Satan has blinded, that they may not see the light which shines forth from it. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. It will also suit better to connect this statement with the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, because the prophet speaks of unbelievers among whom prophecy is of no profit or advantage. 25. Falling down on his face, he will worship. For it is only the knowledge of God that can bring down the pride of the flesh. To that prophecy brings us. Hence it is its proper effect and nature to bring down men from their loftiness, that they may, with prostrate homage, render worship to God. To many, however, prophecy also is of no benefit. Nay more, they are made worse by what they hear. Nor was it even Paul's intention to ascribe this effect to prophecy, as if it were always the result of it. He simply designed to show how much advantage is derived from it, and what is its office. It is therefore a singular commendation that it extorts from unbelievers this confession, that God is present with his people, and that his majesty shines forth in the midst of their assembly. End of section 63